You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Rich, I just want to say I'm really excited about talking about the movie we're going to talk about today. I said about three times right there. That's weird. You're about excited about to be about excited about the movie that was about some things. Exactly. <laughs> that's a very roundsabout way of saying about a lot. I mean, that's just where I am, I guess. <laughs> it's about as many ways as I could come up with to say it. Um, I, did you have any like experience with this particular property before watching it? We're, we're going to be talking about the old guard. Just so we get it's a Netflix original movie based off a comic book called The Old Guard, both comic book and screenplay written by Greg Rucka. Uh I knew very vaguely that it was like based off of like uh, comics or graphic novels, but that's about it. Like I've never read any of them. I didn't really know kind of like the whole premise or anything like that. Did you have any previous knowledge? No, 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 no. I had I had not read any of the old guard comic before, and um, I mean, I was I'm familiar with Greg Rucka's work, uh, his Wonder Woman, and then I've become a big fan of Stumptown on TV. I have yet to watch the Stump or read the Stumptown comic book, so uh, this is very interesting, or I thought it was very interesting. Um, but before we get into that, like talking about comic books and movies made just for or comic books made for certain actors and then may, are probably going to be made into live action. Have you heard about Berserker? Um, no. So Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yes, that Keanu Reeves uh, signed a deal with Boom Studios, the comic book and the comic book company. And they are, he is co-writing a um, comic book with, oh, I'll have to go look up the name. But he's co-writing this comic book about this character who's 60,000 years old. Just just imagine that. 60,000 years old. And uh, the, you know, obviously, since he wrote it, um, they are going to or the, the artist made it look like him. So I, I, I'm guessing there's a. Uh, deal out there to be made for him to star in the movie version of it i yeah i literally just pulled some picture of this up and uh not only does it tie in pretty well to the old guard um (laughs) i'm just looking at like a teaser image of it and it's basically yeah it's like a beefier keanu reeves with like five or six bullet holes through him a knife sticking out of his heart and then like four arrows like jabbed out of him and he's still got like that long john wick hair and his his like john wick beard uh-huh. um and yeah it's i guess like they tweeted out boom studios tweeted out that they're thrilled to announce the berserker a 12 issue series from the iconic keanu reeves and and that's co-written by matt kind i think and yeah, uh, uh the says, artist is uh it's alessandro Vitt- alessandro v Vitti? VD, I believe. V- VT? Yeah, man. I, I mean, I don't really care what it's about. If Keanu Reeves is involved, I'm there. 
<laughs> I mean, it sounds like you're combining true life Keanu Reeves because he's immortal with the John Wick character because he, he's a badass fighter like kind of thing. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and interesting because you said 60,000. I'm reading this here. It says in an interview with the outlet, uh, John Wick actor shared new details about the comic. The character was born 80,000 years ago. Oh. Half man. His father, <laughs> uh, a war god. So, yeah, he's a demigod. Yeah, he's a demigod. It's a little fantasy in reality. You had this. He had this image. Well, it says I have this image in my head of a guy fighting through the ages because of his father's compulsion for violence, but with the pathos of a man trapped and trying to figure it out. Wow. <laughs> and then he says that he would like. It says when asked about potential film adaptations of the new comic books, uh, he opened. He's open to the idea of playing the lead character. Which it's basically him. Why would he not be open to playing the character? He's like writing a character for himself. Why would you be like, yeah, I mean, I wrote it, but I'm not really interested in doing anything with it. That would be very weird. <laughs> Especially yeah, when I mean, you are Keanu. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's just a way for him to throw people off. He'd be like, well, he wouldn't write a movie or, a, you know, an IP about a guy who lives forever if he actually lived forever right that's not that's not a thing that he would do i mean that's that is that would throw people off i, I think you're <laughs> definitely right i think people might start to question his his immortality at that rate <laughs> just a little though i just just a little just a little bit so uh that being said like the idea of the immortal fighter which is what we're definitely going to get into with this movie uh and and comic book tropes like mm -hmm. what do you feel like if you lived past a certain amount of year like as as regular normal human beings we we have probably on average of 65 years right i think life expectancy is 70 yeah. or something that's yeah that sounds accurate you get to live to just to get to live to be a hundred. I mean, you've got to live a whole century. You know, you, you imagine you got to see a bunch of different things, live to see a thousand. Like, how do you think like, like the way that this movie portrays immortals and cause we don't know how old, uh, Charlie's Theron's Andy's character is right. Uh, like, yeah, I don't think we ever get a we don't ever get a definitive number, but I mean it's thousands of years, like oh, yeah, it's yeah, multiple yeah. thousands of years, like Apparently, for sure. In some uh, interview, she stated to the interviewer that the the character of Andy was like six six thousand years old, but like after a thousand years, like you have to imagine you've experienced everything, right? Like every emotion you could possibly do, every conversation that could be had has been had by you and. Do you think that you become do you become jaded or do you still have a lust for life? Um wow, that is a I, I mm, that's a tough question. I mean, I I would hope that I was uh, still I mean, like I feel like I'm jaded now and I'm not <laughs> obviously anywhere near like the centurion mark. Um but I mean, I would also hope that, I mean, there's enough that would change via like technology and, and things like that, that m maybe you could find a way to keep it interesting. But then again, I don't know. I mean, I could see, I could see totally getting very jaded if you had to like constantly see the same cycle based pitfalls of, of humankind just constantly 
making the same tragic mistakes, especially in like the situation of the old guard where it seems as if they're like kind of trying to do the right thing for like humanity as a whole, or like, you know, they're trying to do their best. Like they're not, we're never really given a definitive reason as to where they got these abilities or this immortality or like, temporary immortality but immortality nonetheless like we're not really uh privy to you know and neither are they they don't know why they have this you know immortality bestowed upon them right and so that is kind of the situation of uh charlize theron's character is that she is kind of like in a in a situation of potentially giving up on humanity and and constantly trying to battle people and you know make people see a, the brighter side or the correct side of the situation. So I would like to think that I wouldn't get jaded, but I definitely feel like it is inevitable that we would all get jaded at some point. Yeah. So that's why like in the description for Berserker, he's it 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 talks about him uh having to fake his death repeatedly, you know, so that he can not be exposed but then like you i think you stated is uh he has to come to grips with the idea of being the the son of a the war god or something like that but mm-hmm. like how long does how long should something like that take like i guess it depends on if his dad's still alive i mean if his dad's been alive and causing chaos throughout all of humankind for those eighty thousand years and he's just constantly been there trying to mop it up i mean that's an ongoing issue true very true i don't know that's that i just i find that interesting like how do you i mean because obviously there's nothing to to base it off of right like you can't go and talk to your local eighty thousand year old person (laughs) how do you feel about this but you have to extrapolate like from people or how how you feel that you're the age you're at how people who are a little bit older than you feel and people who are a little older than that feel I mean, it would definitely be a struggle, like, you know, and I I don't know. I mean, I guess, that you know, if you're 80,000 years, I mean, depending, like, upon when they're saying he was born, right? Like, I'm assuming it would be pretty, like, old-timey. I'm, like, I don't think they're like, oh, he was born in 1990 and we're 80,000 years in the future, you know? So, I mean, like, I guess you could kind of, like, see the evolution of like man and like the technological side of it would i feel like would have to break you down because i mean i feel like yes we've done a lot of good things with technology but you know in correlation to his father being like a a god of of war and violence you know like he's gonna inevitably be drawn to the constant technological advancements and like how we destroy life and i i do feel like at a certain point like if you had seen the human condition repeat itself for eighty thousand years i mean you know, The Rock can be not The Rock as in the Dwayne Johnson, but like a rock, like a giant boulder can eventually be weathered down by, you know, water, right? So I would think after 80 years of just seeing that, you'd be so broken down and so just like hopeless, you know? Like, I I don't know how you would really have that much hope left for humanity at that point, or yourself even, you know? I mean, like, how many, how many, you know, again, going back to the old guard, because there is a lot of parallels, like, how many people has Charlize Theron's character killed? You know, how many people would he kill within an 80,000 year period? Like, it's gotta be, like, millions, you know? (laughs) Um, yeah, so, it's, I'm excited to 
I don't know if I'll I'll go out and read that comic books, but if at least see the movie if it if it gets to that. I mean, I guess you gotta you gotta support the comic book first before it can become a movie, more than likely, right? I mean, at this point, yeah, I definitely think you have to. I don't see how there's any other way really around that now. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Jumping to another movie property that was announced, not a comic book, but actual books, but still has its tie to comic books. Uh, there is a set of novels called The Gray Man. I guess it came out around 2009. Mm-hmm. And it is a spy thriller novels. It's, let's see, written by somebody. Yeah, that's right. I said somebody. <laughs> um, Somebody's a pretty good writer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I can't. Oh, the film. No, that's produced. Well, anyways, it's it's the movie's going to be directed by i believe okay uh it's gonna be no i don't know if it's well, okay here the russos and their agbo is producing and the script was written by joe russo with a polished by christopher marcus and Stephen mcfeely now if you don't know about uh, marcus and mcfeely they're the ones who wrote a lot of the big uh mcu movies that the russos directed mm-hmm. um and then uh Let's see. Then, who scripted the yeah, Russo directed movies uh, based on the Mark Greeny novel from 2009, The Gray Man? Uh, it's a freelance assassin and former CIA operative named Kunch- Court Gentry. Um, let's see. The, the, the action thriller is a deadly duel between killers, uh, as between killers, as Gentry, played by Ryan Gosling, is hunted across the globe by Lloyd Hansen, played by Chris Evans, a former cohort of Gentry's at the CIA. That, uh, I mean, you had me at Assassin, and then <laughs> you doubly had me at Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling. Like, holy shit, that sounds amazing. Right? It sounds it sounds really good. Like, yeah. They're definitely going for that, uh, you know, mono mono spy movie dude i'm all about it like i <laughs> assassins I, I mean like this literally sounds amazing like i'm now, totally on board the thing that you're gonna might you might have to change your pants for oh <laughs> oh that this movie is gonna be made at netflix and it's gonna be their highest budget movie yet at 200 million dollars uh wow i mean Good for Netflix. Like, definitely good for them. That's not nearly as high as I would have expected. I mean, like, that's a lot of money. Don't misunderstand me. But, I mean, in today's comparative range of budgets, that's not astronomical. No, that's not. It's a good budget. It's a very good budget. It's a big budget for a a streaming movie. Like, that. they haven't had something like that yet, I don't believe. No, but, I mean, they were spending, I mean... I think, I think uh, at least a million an episode for some of the shows. So, I mean, some of the shows like probably. What's that? That's like 10 episodes a season, though. Like, I know they, uh, the Irishman cost a whole bunch of money to make. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it 200 million? No, but I mean, I think that's good, though. I mean, I, you know, as that realm of things continues to heat up and and as you have a larger and larger de- like supply and demand situation where you need more exclusive content like i don't think that i mean like and having again having gosling and chris evans they they're both infinitely bankable names now and i mean probably 80 percent of that budget is going to the two of them i would assume um 
it's not shocking to me, but I, I do think it's good. I think it's a really good thing that they're willing to commit that much to the movie. And I mean, obviously they believe in the source material enough to kind of put that much money behind it to back it. And so, I mean, that does give me a lot of hope that we're going to see a really good quality film come out of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I very much in for that team and then those actors. So yeah, I think we're definitely gonna get a quality film out of it and from more than likely a, uh, series of films right i mean that is definitely the trend nowadays so i think again we'd be in a hard-pressed situation to see them especially if it's based off of books or a novel i mean uh that already kind of sounds like there's probably enough source material there for at least a a couple of movies so i wouldn't be shocked to see that happen you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I'm, i'm right there with you cool so oh just to also bring it around to Netflix and superheroes kind of did you have you watched Extraction yet on Netflix? Yes. So that's their number one movie uh in Netflix according to like what is it the 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 movie that has their their original movie that's been in the most households. Hmm. What was their budget for that out of curiosity? Ooh, I, I don't know, I'd have to look that up. But what do you think of that movie? Um, I mean, story wise, there's, there isn't, um, it's nothing you haven't seen before. I mean, we'll just call it what it is. Uh, it's a decent story. Uh, it's not, you know, breaking the grounds of originality. Uh, the action is very well done. I thought the action was pretty, pretty incredible at some of the points, the way that they choreographed it and some of the camera tricks and movements and things like that they did. Um, yeah, I mean, overall it's a, it's a very enjoyable popcorn flick type of movie. You know what I mean? It's, it's definitely something you would have expected to have gone to the theater over summer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So according to uh tech radar, it 65 million was, was the budget on extraction. Holy crap. And they're throwing 200 at this. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah. I'm actually surprised they made that movie for that price, though, considering the, you know, dynamics behind it. That's pretty impressive, actually. Yeah. That, that camera work was was really interesting. Like, mm-hmm. I, I like I know how I love I know how like everybody's doing the the look like one one shot or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And they definitely push that in that that particular scene. But I heard this one thrown around. What is what if like Extraction and Olgard are in the same like universe, and the the character of Rake in Extraction is a is another immortal? I mean, it uh, it wouldn't shock me considering some of the stuff that uh, some of those people were exposed to. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some pretty brutal violence in there. I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. I mean, could you see Netflix like with with Extraction, uh, Old Guard, um, this coming Gray Man movie? I mean, I can't really do Gray Man because that's part of a book series. But like, I guess you can't really do Old Guard either because that's part of a comic book series. But all these Netflix original like movies became a Netflix uh, connected connected universe. universe? <laughs> the what would that be? The NCU? Sure. <laughs> That would be, I mean, it, I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of do something, you know what I mean? Like, it does, if you follow at least the trend that had been going on, I mean, that was certainly a, a big thing. I mean, what was it, Universal tried to do that with the the monster films. They they tried to kind of, like, bring that back with, like, the mummy and stuff. And I don't think it kind of went the way that they were hoping. Yeah, um, the but dark universes, they were calling it. 
Yeah, but I mean, I I would I couldn't say that I would be shocked at all to see like Netflix or somebody else to try to branch out and have like some gigantic connected universe. I don't I don't think it would be a bad idea really either. Like, I think there could definitely be some interest in that, like especially if you had just like these uh you know immortal assassin type films that were connected you know the connected assassin universe or something would be definitely interesting yeah and funny that you bring up the the dark universe because like like you were saying they well actually dracula untold was the first one i I think they were trying to do in that dark universe and that dracula movie didn't do well uh did you happen to watch that with luke evans as dracula um, I it was, it was don't. Quite a years away, uh, not quite a years, but it was, it was a good good amount of time. A few like, years back, yeah, seven years back, I think, six or seven. I don't years. think I. I don't think I. I damn, I'm having a really hard time remembering. I don't think that I did. So then, after that, they tried again with the Mummy, like you said, and oh, also the I Frankenstein. I also believe was supposed to try and be part of that universe, but that really, failed. yeah, with Aaron Eckhart, and then yeah. Mummy with Tom Cruise, which failed also. Um, then we finally get the Invisible Man with uh, oh, what's the actress's name? Um, she's in Mad Men and uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, Is it about Elizabeth Moss? Elizabeth Moss, yeah, Elizabeth Moss. She's the Invisible Man. It's and it's directed by Lee Wynow and. You know, they they went with this like psychological horror version of it, and and it was I I thought it was a really good movie. I, I'm sure you didn't get a chance to see it because I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it's the part of the void for Richard. Uh, <laughs> well, and then it was like it it was kind of like right at the start of of oh, the COVID true, yeah. too. So it 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 was originally I think supposed to go to theaters, and then it, it maybe even had a really small release, and then. <laughs> got moved to a VOD, I think, for streaming. Yeah. Yeah, it became a premium VOD and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, that was a really good movie. So they're allowing, or they're not allowing, they have gotten Lee Wynell to also uh, direct a Wolfman movie with Ryan Gosling starring. All right, all right. And then, uh, what's his name? Uh, Feig. Um, Paul Feig, who did you know the that uh, the Ghostbusters answer the call movie and uh, Bridesmaids, he is doing a movie called The Dark Army, which is supposed to also be part of that universe. Interesting, but see, it's weird though too because like they're kind of like making these movies, but they're 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 not they don't really at least currently there's nothing tying them together. They're more just like anthologies than a connected universe. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I, I think, I think, I don't think the, the dark universe version, the, the connected dark universe thing is going to, is going to happen anymore. I think they're definitely more like, yeah, let's just make these small budget, like, you know, but big looking big movies and see, using the characters that we have the rights to. And, and it's i think with invisible man it definitely works out for him yeah i mean the last oh my gosh the last one was uh way back in the day with uh, kevin bacon and elizabeth shoe oh the hollow um, man. <laughs> yeah hollow man which essentially is the same character oh, yeah it definitely um is. but i i don't think that was the same i don't think it was the same company or anything but it, it is definitely smart because you're right you what's that 
I said, I don't know who made that movie. I don't know who put that movie out. Yeah, I really, I don't remember either. But I, I do think it's smart though because you're right. Like there is, uh, inevitably to, to a certain degree, still a, a built-in audience. It's probably smaller than a lot of your more, you know, pop culture type stuff would be, um, or contemporary. I guess would be a better contemporary pop culture i don't contemporary culture i think pop culture is supposed to be contemporary but um popular (laughs) yeah exactly yeah right so i mean inevitably (laughs) that was a really long (laughs) rounded way to get there but yeah i mean i I think inevitably there is probably still a bit of a built-in audience to these kind of like old monster movies that you know everyone kind of grew up in in some form whether it was you know like teen wolf or american war wolf on london or you know frankenstein's been around for every and everywhere like for you know a huge amount of time and i think everyone in school like always had to read like the you know the the novel and stuff so inevitably there is a knowledge base that's there but again you know you you made an interesting statement about it to where it was like we should grab these characters make low budget movies and try to do a cash grab and i think that's where they've fallen short in some instances i mean the mummy i have a hard time calling the mummy a cash grab because i mean it was like you know, they paid Tom Cruise to be in that. And uh, I mean, obviously they did pay a pretty decent amount of money for the visual effects and stuff. So, I mean, they put money into that, but I feel like they were rushing it. And I feel like they had the, the DC Warner brothers issue where it's like, they felt like they had to compete with Disney Marvel and putting something out that was connected so quickly that they didn't take the time to really sit down and plan everything out. And I think if they would have done that, this would have had a better, all of these would have had a better chance. And it's just like what you said, like the invisible man sounds like it's pretty good, but that was one where, you know, they probably put a little bit more thought and effort into it because some of those other larger movies hadn't done so well. Right. No. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And just to uh, circle back, the hollow man was made by or distributed by Sony pictures and it had a budget of 95 million. Dang. And that was back in like what? 1995. No, you're, you're it's 2000. August. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. But I mean, that's still 20 years ago. Like, no, exactly. <laughs> that, but that's what I mean. Like 20 years ago, I feel like that's, you know, Netflix 200 million nowadays. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, especially uh, back then, I mean, Kevin Bacon was pretty well established. And I mean, so was Elizabeth Shue. I mean, I don't know that. She, I mean, she's kind of always been, I guess, uh, maybe a B-list star. I mean, she's I, I, obviously I think most people in film know her, but I, I, I would think that I most th- consumers or consumers, most like movie viewers probably don't know her name. Yeah, she didn't really make it past the the supporting character kind of role. Um, I think her biggest, most notable role is probably for leaving Las Vegas, right? Where she's opposite Nick, Nol- or Nick Nolte, Nick uh, Cage. Uh, but other than that, it's, you know, you got back to the future back in the eighties. And then also uh, the karate kid, like kind of always a supporting girlfriend role. Well, yeah, I mean, she was in that she was in, um, Saint. uh, the saint, which I love, of course. Um, yeah, but, but, and that's not, I'm not like trying to, you know, be derogatory on her. I just like, I would imagine at that time, you know, she had been in the industry for quite a while. She probably knew how to negotiate. So, I mean, I doubt she got paid crap money for that. And I mean, Kevin Bacon was 
pretty well known. So, I mean, you know, it makes sense that that movie was pretty pricey for its time. And again, visual effects too. I mean, that, that was again, 20 something years ago. So, you know, visual effects were, I'm assuming a lot more expensive than what they are now. Yeah. More than like, or vice versa. They were cheaper than what they are now. I don't know. I think as special effects became more, I mean, as they became more common, more people knew how to do it. So thus the price kind of comes down, but you know, obviously you want to get, the great stuff like the, that they do for, uh, you know, Marvel movies or uh, Star Wars movies and stuff like that. You're going to pay a hefty price. No, that makes. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. I agree with you. OK, so let's talk about the old guard now. Um, you essentially we have we're following these five characters. If you throw in um, Chiyot. Chuatel Ejiofor's character. That's the sixth character. Copley. Copley. Copley, the CIA, ex-CIA agent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have the it's a Charlie's Theron's character of Andy. You have Niall, Booker, Joe, Nikki. Uh, those that's the team. Well, mm-hmm. Niall's the newcomer, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's so. the she's the new guard. <laughs> I also find it interesting, like they they all talk, they talk. So one thing that I think is great about this movie is that it's the origin movie without being an origin story, right? Like you're getting the idea of like the, the of this new world and all these characters, but you're not really getting an origin story except for in bits and pieces. Like there's stuff in flashback where you talk, they talk about Andy and and Quinn and uh uh and and you know how how old Andy actually is and their other friend that you know, was the first one for them to, to watch die. That is like, wait, what's going on? How come he's not healing? And mm-hmm. you, but you still don't get like the traditional comic book origin story. Like you, you don't see the young super, super baby coming from another planet or Bruce Wayne's parents getting shot kind of thing. Yeah, you, you don't. And, and even then, you know, like, like you said, you know, seeing like Superman come to Earth and and usually in his origin stories, you see the development of his power and there's some, you know, information that's communicated to the viewer as to where the power comes from or or why that power was bestowed upon, you know, that hero. And in this, you're right, you never get that. There, There's never a clear-cut definition of why they get the immortality how long it's going to last. It sounds like for some of them, it lasts a much, much shorter period of time. Um, They kind of allude to the fact that it might have to do in some instances with how many times you die. Um, But that also tends to not be true based upon some stuff we kind of find out towards the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it, it definitely is like an origin story for the concept of these immortal warriors having immortality, but it's not truly an origin story as to where their power comes from or, you know, theoretically even where they got them, except for maybe Niall. It's, it's kind of Niall's origin story interwoven with the stories of these other characters that would maybe be from like a different, uh, you know, comic book arc. If you want to think of it that way, you know, like, Maybe they did, you know, a six run issue of like Charlize Theron's Andy's character getting her powers. And then, you know, maybe now as the the writers and, you know, stuff, they switch to like a different character. But that's almost where we're getting it as the film viewer. You know, it's kind of what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. 
So, and that, I, I like that you brought up the, the, we don't really know where they're getting their power from or why it is that they're immortal. And I'm sure some other people have talked about it, but I haven't, I hadn't heard anybody talk about it yet. And I also don't remember them saying it in the movie. And if they did, I'm totally spaced it. I'm sorry. All the, they're all soldiers. Like they were all soldiers when they died. Mm, yeah, I think you're right. Because Nikki and Joe, the the couple, you know, one was a crusader, the other one was a, a soldier in Jerusalem. They died fighting each other. Uh, Booker was in the Civil War or American, yeah, something like that. And uh, or was it French? The French Civil War. And Niall obviously is a soldier uh, with the U.S. Army or was it U.S. Marines? The Marines, yeah. Marines, yeah. Uh, we don't really know about Andy, but like she's taken on the name of she. She's a Scythian, and I believe that's has to do with soldiers and stuff like that. So it's, I to me, it seems like that seems like an interesting connection for all of them to be that way, one way or another. And does I mean, are they getting their powers from a war god, like kind of thing, like? has a war god just decided that they're the ones that are gonna carry on throughout time for him or her or it i mean it's definitely possible it's it's certainly interesting i mean i think it's really hard to say too because i mean is is it more just a situation of like there's because it, it seems like there can really only be and again there there's arguments to be made because new information at the end of the movie changes this but i mean up until you get to the end of the movie it almost feels no i guess that's not and well i'm, I'm kind of talking myself into a corner here should we just should i just spoil the ending real quick yeah just spoil the ending anybody that okay. it's waiting around hasn't watched the movie you should really know that we talk about the movie <laughs> Okay, so uh, spoiler alert ahead. If you haven't watched it, go watch it and then come back. Um, th- th- I guess the interesting situation is is that as as she's uh, Niall is coming into the team and they're kind of giving all the exposition uh, background as to you know the abilities and stuff. It almost seems as if there is a finite number of them that can exist, um, and we're getting this backstory of uh, Quinn who has been basically put into like an iron maiden and thrown into the ocean and then has just for the last however many thousands of years been dying on an infinite loop mm-hmm. um and then at the very end of the movie quinn shows back up and is not actually dead right um but the interesting thing there is we also find out at the end that niall has become immortal right as we're making the assumption we're presuming uh that andy's character uh has lost her immortality um which again we don't know we know that her healing has slowed but we still don't know if she because obviously she doesn't die at the end of the movie so like there is a little bit where it's making you kind of speculate that maybe there can only be five of them at any time no, uh, yeah, that's that is an interesting idea. Um but that do, yeah, that does throw in a wrench because Niall comes along but no one died. No one had lost their their ability to live. Well, right, with the exception of of Andy because we we do kind of find out that she's not healing anymore. 
but she had already she had healed after uh Niall had come back from the dead the first time. Like it they basically the how the time goes is like they get ambushed in that bunker, they all heal. Then we go to Niall, who gets killed by uh the um Middle Eastern man who she had shot and then she heals. Then uh Andy goes and picks her up and Andy heals, but then after that they get into another fight and she Andy doesn't heal anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I get what you're saying, but the, it doesn't quite line up right. No, that's what I'm saying. Like that I, I'm saying that the movie is like leading you to kind of believe that. And yeah. then we get the reveal of Quinn and that kind of turns it all on its head. Cause that's kind of originally where I was going is like, Oh, well, maybe there can only be them. But then you get that reveal of Quinn at the end and you're like, Oh, well clearly that's not the case. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's one thing I like. I kind of like in, a, in, and I guess maybe a little bit frustrated about the movie is that, that even our characters don't know, like they don't right. know what's going on with them. They've just decided to keep living and, and, to the for the most part helping like even the character of booker like he thought that maybe he was doing the right thing by turning on turning on his group like he saw his own son die from cancer so mm-hmm. if he has the ability to live forever why is it not possible that he can give that ability to other people like well and the and the way they reveal that too is so horrific because not only does he watch him die he watches him beg for him to make him immortal and right. he was helpless he couldn't do anything about it and yeah because you, you know, know there's stories of like you know the vampires out there it's like all you have to do is just turn me and he's like I'm not a vampire that's not that's not what's going on here it's just I just happen to keep living I right. don't tell you the the one thing that I did find particularly interesting though and i think might be a link to this in some capacities is uh andy's character um who is arguably at this point the oldest um and and she still is because i guess quinn was a little bit after her so yeah i guess she still is the oldest but i i find it particularly interesting that she started to lose her immortality and again, we're making some assumptions here because there isn't a, a huge origin background story that that goes through the whole thing. But it, in the terms of the film that you see, it feels as if she is losing her faith in what she's doing. She's mm-hmm. almost losing her faith in her immortality, and she starts questioning it. And then there's multiple times where she's like, "That's it. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore." And then we get this reveal of Niall and she's like, okay, well, she needs help. But she's also already made her mind up that she's going to die. And, you know, she kind of has those conversations and those exchanges with them when they're at the laboratory. And she's like, I'm going to go first. Like, it doesn't matter. My time's going to go when my time's going to go. But then at the end, you know, she goes back there at uh, Copley's place, Copley's place. And he has this huge, like, just you know mega wall of all the things that she's done and the tremendous amount of of positive impact that that's had on human life and all that stuff and what i'm starting to wonder is if if we're going to start seeing the other ones that maybe it's somehow connected to their their will to keep doing good or their faith in what they're doing because she's kind of been the one that was the glue holding everyone together she was kind of the one that was unshakable but now She's kind of losing that. And then I also stop and I think about Quinn's character because I'm like, well, think about it. Like, 
her being put in that situation, like her dying so many times that if it was a finite amount of respawns, for the lack of a better term, over the course of that many years, she would have used them all up. But if she she would have used them all up. Right, right. That's what I mean. Yeah, like she would have punched through those continues, so to speak, to put it in gamer terms, uh, very quickly. And so I almost wonder if like her going down there and then just developing this unrelenting rage and and probably even a higher level of insanity for a while is what kept her immortal. Like if she kept that ability because she was relentless in her will to give up, like she was just so enraged that she had to get out of there that that's why she's lived this long. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. That, that is a, uh... Very interesting because you would have to go insane. You would have to, and then right after that, you know, that first thousand years, do you stay insane? Do you like okay? Well, I've made peace with it, or like, do you come back around to being like, well, now I'm crazy again. I fucking hate it here. Like, what do you what do you think it is that eventually gets her out of there? Like, to me, the thing that brought me up to brought me uh brought up to brought got brought up in my mind mm-hmm. is that like does evolution cook kick in at a moment? Like after every time she's dying, does eventually like her lungs just adapt to being able to, <laughs> she's got fucking gills. She's got like yeah. waterman gills. Yeah. Like, like the hmm. fucking mariner in, uh, water world. Like is it, 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 it would have to like things would have to change. And then does she get out? Because, you know, the, the lock that they put on there just finally rusted through and she was able to break it off or, that's honestly what what my thought was is like i figured that she stayed under there for so long and with it being in the ocean the upside to that is that it's salt water which would at least to some degree increase the rate at which it would rust uh it's still going to take a really long time um but that that is the assumption that i made is that yeah she literally was in there and has just been on this constant death loop uh, until the whole Iron Maiden thing rusted and she got out. I mean, it's not even just, I mean, the death loop is bad because like it's drowning. It's, mm-hmm. it's filling your lungs filled with water and then tear and then you die. Like it's just over and over and over. And that's gotta be. Well, and she would never not wake up without water in her lungs like the water would still so the second time she woke up like there's gotta be basically no air in her lungs yeah i mean unless it pushes it out just like the bullets like you know when they get shot oh, yeah them, that's true it pushes the bullets out and then it revives them so <sighs> i'm not sure what's worse <laughs> honestly you know what i mean yeah no i i absolutely know what you mean so oh. it's very I can't wait to find out in that second movie because they have to do a second movie. And I believe that Greg Rucka said that he always intended it to be a trilogy. So there's that. Yeah. And I mean, with it being, you know, based off of, uh, obviously we, neither one of us have read the, the comics or the graphic novels, but I mean, you would think with it being based off of that, that, and, and the way that they filmed it and kind of told the story, like it's, it, you can definitely tell like they, they, you know, left you with more questions than they answered. So I, I mean, I would be hard pressed to see them not move. And especially with how well this seems to be doing uh, on Netflix, like I would be very shocked to see them not move forward with, with sequels or additional, you know, either movies or shows in this, this, you know, type of 
world that's been crafted by the old guard, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I this story, I think, though it is very, very... <laughs> It's very surface, I guess, is the best way I could put it. But it's it's I love the world that it's built, if that makes sense. Oh, no, totally. It's it's the uh, it's the tip of the iceberg. But it's it's this is going to sound really messed up, but it's the iceberg that you kind of want to tear open the Titanic, so to speak. Like this is the one you you're like, this thing goes thousands of miles deep. And I want all the answers because you're just left with so many like what if scenarios that you're like you really want to know what's going to happen, you know? Exactly. So that's story stuff. What did you think of the directing? Like the way the movie looked? Um, I mean, I, I thought it looked fine, um, which maybe isn't the greatest way of describing the movie. Like, I don't know. There wasn't, I guess there wasn't really anything that like, kind of stood out at me as being like completely shocking or you know revolutionary um i thought the style choices fit i thought it worked um there's obviously a bunch of different locations um i think they picked very beautiful locations um what do you, you think of the action set pieces uh, overall they're good you know what i mean um i i think charlize theron is always a performer who kind of puts herself into all of her roles i mean she did amazing action sequences and just about everything that she's done that's been action related whether it's mad max or atomic blonde or anything like that um i i think again i think it's good i i don't think i think it could have been more like especially for someone who you know there's like parts where she kills a bunch of people but it's it's very safe in in, in the stylistic choices i felt um, and I feel like when you have something like that, again, I don't know, maybe budget or maybe time constraints, there's always a number of other possibilities that play into it that kind of like make those choices for you sometimes. So I don't want to be too harsh on it, but, um, you know, I do think they could have utilized her a lot more because when you're talking about someone and that's where my mind went every single time they were talking about her being a, a soldier is I'm like, my gosh, like, you know, if, if you really stop and think about someone who's been in combat for like. 20,000 years, let's say, you have to be at such an unbelievable level, you know, that it's like almost hard to believe some of the mistakes or, you know, like them walking into that trap. Like, I'm like, I don't really see any way that that would have actually happened in the very beginning of the movie because, like, all of them would have had so much training and, you know, so much knowledge. And there's even a line in there where he says something like, she's forgotten how to kill you know, she's forgotten more ways to kill than most people will ever be taught. <laughs> and I don't know that some of the action scenes really showcased that enough for me. Um, but I also don't think they were bad. Like, I don't I don't think you're going to watch this and be let down by the action that is in the movie. Um, but I do think they could have pushed that a lot farther if you know, some of those other parameters would have allowed it. Cause I, I, you know, I mean, I don't know the backstory of what their production was, but um, yeah, I think it could have pushed it a little bit further. What about you? I mean, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I thought it was, I thought, I thought it all looked really good. I, I, I'm right there with you. Um, So for the stunt coordinator on this was Adam Curley. Uh, look, looking at his IMDb, he's got a lot of great stuff on there. Um, 
Let's see, World's End. He was the, the World's End. He was a stunt coordinator. World World War Z. He was a stunt performer. Iron Man three. He did stunts. Uh, the Aeronauts. He was the stunt coordinator. Aladdin. He was the stunt coordinator. Kingsman. The Golden Circle. He was a stunt coordinator. Like he's done a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of work. And then the fight coordinator uh, also has a lot of work. He's the he was the stunt coordinator second unit for Birds of Prey. Uh, Avengers Endgame, he was the fight coordinator. Uh, Creed 2, he was the stunt coordinator. Wow. Venom, he was the fight coordinator. Avengers In- Infinity War, he's a fight co- choreographer. Like, what's the difference between a coordinator and a choreographer? I mean, I would imagine the choreographer is the one that's probably coming up with all of the intricacies of the actual movements, whereas the coordinator is probably helping with the choreographer to oversee the safety and the actual execution of it. Mm, okay. So yeah, I mean, that's my guess. I don't actually know that for sure. That is just my my best guess. Damn it, Richard, you're the person I come to for all this. I know. I don't have much uh, in the way of like stunt choreography and coordinations. I guess I'm gonna need you to get on top of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then uh, as a director, we have uh, Gina Prince Bythewood. Uh, I know everybody wants to put an L in there and say Blythewood, but it's Bythewood. Um, different. Definitely a different type of uh, director from this, I don't think. Uh, the only thing I can place her name to is like Love and Basketball, I want to say. Yeah, Love and Basketball. She's the writer-director of that. Um, she was supposed to direct for Sony the Black and Silver movie, which was supposed to be Black Cat and Silver Sable from the Spider-Man. Oh, that okay. movie got canceled. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that is very unfortunate. But um, let's see. The Secret Life of Bees, uh, an episode of Everybody Hates Chris, Bernie Mac show, Cloak and Dagger. I don't even know what that is. But, uh, oh, I know what that is. This is the mutant TV show. Uh, That was on Freeform. But yeah, so to me, it seems like a definitely different type of directing than what she's usually used to right i mean yeah i mean based on the the credits that you're naming yeah i mean that definitely does feel different and again it's not that anything is bad here but i mean that could also explain why it was maybe played a little bit safer or you know maybe she was a little bit concerned about taking some risks or maybe she made choices to uh, invest that time and money into other parts of the film, you know, because that's always inevitably you're going to have to have compromises when you're making a film, whether it's, you know, your budget constraints or your time or whatever. So I, mean, I don't want to take anything away from it because, again, it's not that anything is inherently bad, but also at the same time, I feel like if you were to fire this up and just watch just the action, there's not really definitively one piece that would just jump out at you and be like a defining moment for this film for the action um you know whereas like when we look back on like extraction earlier we were talking about it i mean like there's some of the sequences in there where like he gets hit by the car or like some of the camera movement you're like oh wow like that's really an interesting choice and it's a kind of like a, a choice you don't see made as as frequently whereas this feels like very safe action and for someone as a as a director who maybe doesn't have a lot of experience in really big over the top action that could explain that for sure. Yeah. And I think the closest for me would be the, the, 
the fight scene in the church. Like that would be the memorable fight scene, which apparently in, I, I guess there's a, an uh, interview out there where she, they said that she, originally they're called for a fight scene having to do on a staircase. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Hey, I just kind of did a movie where I did a major fight scene on a staircase. And I kind of want to just do that again. So can we come up with something else? And I think that's when they came up with the the church. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think the church is a great uh, choice overall. Uh, again, for me, and this is just my personal preference and style. Like when I think about what's happening in that moment, like they've just got done illustrating to us as a, a viewer, how absolutely horrific it is for them to be captured. Um, we just felt the shortcoming that Andy was experiencing because of the loss of Quinn that she blames herself. I don't feel that that sequence was brutal enough to showcase her actual aggression in that moment. It was very like calculated and for someone, and again, this is a very nitpicky thing and, and it's, it's totally invalid. This is just personal preference or opinion. I almost feel like that, should have felt so much more animalistic and it should have been a lot less like she had the gun and the sword, but I almost feel like that should have really reverted to that old, old school training that she had with just barbaric ways. You know what I mean? It should have been barbarous combat at that point, in my opinion, like shouldn't even have been a gun involved for (laughs) her Uh, is just my take on that. And I think if they would have done that, it would have elevated that sequence for me a lot more because I would have, I would have kind of, and again, I guess whatever, she's a killer. She's not going to screw around. She's going to make it as efficient as possible. But knowing that you potentially have just had two of your team go through something that you've never recovered from, I feel like there would have been a little bit less calculation in that. And I feel like it should have just been over the top barbarous. And, and for me, had that happened, um, that very well would have been a defining moment of of the action sequences, I think. I feel like that's what, for me, was lacking, was a true definitive moment where I saw just the unleash of what, you know, potentially multiple thousands of years of training and, and you know, doubt and suffrage. You know, I, I like that would have just been, you know, the volcano causing the extinction event for humanity type of situation. And I, I just was a little let down that I feel like I never got that as a viewer, you know? That's fair. I, I can understand that. Um, where would you want to see this movie going in, in, in the sequel? Uh, well, I mean, it, we're definitely moving forward with uh, almost like a... It, it almost feels in an essence like a, a pseudo passing of the torch from Andy to Niall. Um, Niall although hasn't been around that long does seem to have more leadership quality and more desire i guess maybe inadvertent desire because she does try to walk away from it but toward the end like she's kind of stepped back into what what we would kind of expect as like the marine mentality when she's like no one's left behind you know i'm gonna go in first like so she's definitely exhibiting a lot more leadership uh type of things than we see from uh the the other two Oh my gosh. Uh, not Booker. He was the outcast one. Joe and Nikki. Um, we kind of see them as good soldiers, uh, as good support roles. We don't 
really, at least for me, again, being nitpicky, I didn't really see anything from them where I felt like they were wanting to step up and fill Andy's shoes or or potentially step into a leadership role. Whereas like Niall, you feel like she's just naturally pulled into that position. And so, uh, and then of course, you know, we also have the question that's not answered is, you know, is Andy actually losing her immortality or was it like a simple stutter in it? You know, was it just a momentary lapse and, and she's going to come out of this like renewed because of all the information that she found out. And then of course, obviously they recruit uh, Copley or Copley. I always don't know how to say that quite right. Um, I guess Copley, maybe they kind of recruit him and they're telling him, you know, you work for the CIA, but you work for us. Now you're going to go in and remove us from every digital footprint on the planet. You are going to find us the right jobs. Like you're going to ensure that we never walk into this trap again. And I do think that it, there were also moments where Niall and Copley had when she kind of goes back to save uh, Andy because she knows that she's been set up by Booker because the gun that he gave her was empty. Right. And they kind of start establishing a chemistry and a connection where she's also like, holy crap, like you are have put together this huge picture, this over, you know, bird's eye view thing. And so she almost kind of like it, it felt like to me, she almost had this like respect for him. And like kind of also instilled this thing in her that what they were doing was actually the right thing to do. So I think there was a, a natural chemistry that was there uh, as well. So I think like moving forward with her taking the torch and really building on the relationships and, and moving forward would be a very interesting dynamic. And then, of course, we now have Quinn who is come into the picture and she is also... Uh, shows up at Booker's apartment, who's recently been outcast for his misdeeds. Um, she doesn't look happy. She obviously didn't go seek Andy out and give her a hug. So it's pretty clear to me that she's being set up as our new antagonist. Mm-hmm. And I mean, seeing her blatant rage and insanity, which it has to be the two. I don't see how it couldn't be. Uh, clash with the young blood of of Niall, who really has not had thousands of years of suffrage, I also think is a very interesting uh, matchup between uh, pro and, and antagonist, you know, protagonist and antagonist. Yeah, and, it, and yeah, the idea that uh, that they have this shared memory, which is so awesome. Like where when Niall first experiences the Quinn's one of Quinn's deaths, uh, being you know drowning, and they have to explain you know what that all means. Is she using that as a weapon? Like was she using? Was she still underneath the water at the time when Niall received that memory, or was has she been out for a very long time? Uh, then just the idea of of that and you know is there going to be more or how is she going to use booker on her side to go against mm-hmm. the rest of the team uh and then i have to say you know i just kind of have to talk about this this one part which was just i thought was a really great really great writing and a super great like monologue but uh the character of joe giving that that whole speech about how he loves nikki like like this yeah. is more than just a, a guy I love or whatever. It's like he's this, not just my boyfriend. Is what he's yeah. yeah he's not just my boyfriend. He's the you know he's my everything. He's eternity, and it's just like wow. That is that was heartfelt and that was awesome. Yeah, I I I'm really glad that they had that moment too because uh it, you know it's one of those things where it could have very quickly, very easily just been passed over with some 
really shitty dialogue. Yeah. Um, but th- they really laid that out. And, and I mean, such a poetic way, too. And then he's just kind of like, you always were like a hopeless romantic. You know what I mean? And you're like, wow, that's such great characterization. And and then even the guy that's kind of like giving him shit about it doesn't know what to do or say anymore. Like he just totally verbally judoed him into a checkmate. And it was fantastic <laughs> to watch. And then, yeah, like and and Nikki getting that moment later on when he's like, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to figure you out. And he's like, dude, other people have tried. It, I've heard this all before. Like, it's not yeah. going to work. Like, I, I. I really enjoyed uh, those two characters a lot. So I don't think this is at all true, but I'm going to just throw this out there as another weird conspiracy type thought on it. What if Quinn did actually die and did lose her immortality? And what if Charlize Theron, Andy's character, didn't actually pass to Niall, but what if it passed back to Quinn? Allowing for what, though? Like for her to come back. So like, what if for some reason How did she get out of the Iron Maiden? Well, because their body like restores. Okay. So like, you know what I'm saying? Like it rebuilds itself. So like, what if she's down there as like a skeleton and then wakes up and like her body, like she's still drowning and dying, but her body's like rebuilding itself. And then the Iron Maiden's like rusted through and she like busts out again. I don't think that's it, but <laughs> it, it's certainly a really interesting thing because that would be so messed up if Andy was like, you know, she's still alive. But in that moment when she's like thinking back on Quinn, she starts doubting it so much that she forces her immortality on her. And then think how bad Booker is going to be when he finds out he could have actually passed his immortality on to his son and then didn't do it like horrible. Like, yeah, I don't think that's where they're going, but it's just something to think about. That's That would be interesting. That would, right? Wouldn't that be horrible if you're like, shit, I could have passed this on this whole time. I could have saved my son from his cancer and I didn't. Like, <laughs> oh, brutal. Brutal. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, there's, is there anything else particular about this movie you wanted to say? No, that was kind of my I last. You liked you know. it after all this. I did. I did actually enjoy it quite a bit. And I, I mean, you know, uh, I, I would say it's on Netflix. You're not going to be out anything if you want to check it out. I, I would say definitely give it a shot. I think you will enjoy it for sure. All right. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ray Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. Or you can find me every Wednesday and Sunday on twitch.tv slash Ray Cohen and the number one at the end of it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. The rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Also, we have a Patreon page, so go Ooh. and check that out and check out the different tiers that we have. Uh, some of them will be pretty interesting, I think. Uh, you know, one of them could be you get to meet Richard. How about that? Hey, what <laughs> is there? Tears of joy on there? <laughs> there are tears of joy. Yes, <laughs> I knew it. Also, make sure to go to our webpage, geeklyetmedia.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network. Please rate and review our podcast if you don't want to be part of our Patreon on whatever podcatcher that you use so that it can help spread the word of our network. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to geek Geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. 